welcome back. <laughs> Woo! Yeah. 2019. Woo! Yeah. 2019. We're back. <laughs> <coughs> Even though some of you <coughs> prayed we would oh. not, here we are. Yeah. yeah. Fuck your prayers. We're back. <laughs> back, bitches. Your gods can't do nothing to us. We are back attacking the mic like a vandal. Uh, 2019. Yes. Wow. Did wow. you have a good Christmas and New Year, Papa Bear? Um, it was pretty good. Uh, obviously, the the kids uh, did well. I I didn't get shit. Um, so a little disappointed in Santa Claus. Um, eh, it's okay. How about you? Yeah, but well, have you been on his nice list or his naughty list this year, Ray? That's what I guess what oh, it comes down to. Right? Yeah. Um, if he only sees the stuff I do on Facebook, I should be okay. But if he really does have a crystal ball and he can see the real shit, yeah, I'm never getting gifts again. Um, that's that's on me. Yeah, yeah, if he can see what's going on in your mind, it's there's the nice country boy persona, right? That everyone likes, but then there's right. the real uh, right, that only comes perf. out off air. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, no, I hate Christmas, as you know. Hate it. Uh, worst time of the year. Hate everything about it. Right. Just try. I, I just wish to God it right. wasn't happening. Right. Um, yeah. But anyway, survived yeah. it. That's the best I can do is I survived Yeah, <laughs> you should get a T-shirt that says that. Yeah. I survived. Um, well, let's get into it. Um, I'm going to tell you, I, wanted to, I want to start by telling a little story, mm-hmm. Ray. Yeah. Once, once upon a time, mm-hmm. In the there, was a, there was a knight called Avarado. Right who fought for Charlemagne during the conquest of the Lombardy region, northern Italy, in the 8th century. Right. And according to legend, Avarado was travelling one day through the Mugello, uh, a valley near Florence, mm-hmm. when he heard tell of a giant Ooh. who was terrorising the area. Right. Now... Little known fact, but um, Avarado was only about your height. So a giant for him was anything over six foot. <laughs> this giant might have been like six one, right. six two. Oh, giant. Right. And he was like, oh, my God, it's a giant. And everyone else was like, well, well really? No, he's, just just, a, he's tall. Yeah. He's a little bit a, taller. But, above average. But, yeah. yeah, I mean, I wouldn't call him a giant. He's going, nope, giant. <laughs> Because as Einstein said, it's all relative, Vitti. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, so Avarado right. goes in search of this slightly above average height giant. Why? And it's- challenged him to a duel. Well, because he is a hero and that's what heroes oh. do, right? They go searching for... They run towards. Yes. Oh. Yes. They run that. towards... <laughs> Disaster, and if they yeah. survive it, we call them a hero. If they don't, we say, "Well, he's, he's pretty dumb fuck." Yes, that's right. There goes another it's dumb a thin fuck. line, right? Between right. Da- between Darwin Award winners and heroes, <laughs> it's just luck, really. I can't. What it comes down to how does this story turn out? Well, you, 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 you won't believe it, right? Right. So he challenges the giant 
to a duel. Right. And as they face off each other, the giant swung his giant mace. Right. Um, Avarado uh, thrust up his uh, trusty shield. Uh Uh-huh. The the giant's mace smashed into the shield and the the little spikes on the mace uh, left dents on the shield. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, But... Avarado managed to uh, he pivoted. Um, <coughs> he, he he pulled a bit of a John Wick, sw- sweep the leg, right. got up, grabbed the giant's gun hand, oh. uh, took control of the giant's gun hand, used it to kill a couple of other giants in front of him, then flipped the giant over himself right. and shot the giant oh. twice in the chest with his own gun. Have you watched any of the John Wick films? I've seen bits and pieces. The, oh, the man's man. badass. The man's badass. <laughs> you got you got to watch him. It's yeah. just great. Yeah. They're great films, man. They're he just, handles business. Like, yeah. You know, uh, I don't know if you saw um, the, the Mad Max Fury Road film, which is just like one long car chase. <laughs> John Wick films are just one long fight scene. Uh, it's, they're 90-minute fight scenes. <laughs> Um, there's oh no story. God. It's just, uh, oh, they killed John Wick's dog, so he's going to go and kill 4,000 guys. Sounds right. Um, Sounds right. And uh, it, Keanu's, you know, Keanu's great. Keanu, yeah. Keanu, Keanu can make that shit look smooth. <laughs> anyway, but, back to back yeah. to Avarado. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, uh, he managed to kill the giant. Charlemagne was so impressed when he heard the story mm-hmm. because people didn't tell him that the giant was only 6'2". They left <laughs> that bit out. <laughs> He said, how big was this giant? Oh, oh he man. was big. He's like oh. double the size of Alvarado. He was huge. Big. <laughs> huge. Had to carry it at the boot in the wheelbarrow. That's how huge it was. Um, oh, Billy Connolly joke yeah. there for people who grew up in the 70s like me. Um, Charlemagne was so impressed he decreed that mm-hmm. henceforth... Uh, Avarado could use his dented shield as his family's personal coat of arms, his insignia. Ah. And that, right. my friends, is where the Medici insignia of red balls, or pale, as they are known in Italiano, mm-hmm. uh, on a field of gold uh, uh, supposedly comes from. Now, originally... Right. The coat of arms of the Medici uh, had uh, eight red balls. Mm-hmm. Then later on, they cut that back to six red balls, and mm. then five red balls and a blue ball with Florentine lilies on it. Now, wow! I don't know if you've ever had eight red balls, Ray, <laughs> um, but I know you've had blue a, balls. I know you've had a, a blue ball at least at <laughs> some stage. Eight red balls is a lot to juggle. Um, <laughs> yes, that's a lot. That's a lot of ballage. Yeah. What What do you think about this uh, uh, origin story uh, of the uh, M- Medici uh, uh, coat of arms, Ray? Are you buying it? You're You're a midget. Yeah. You, you battle giants in I your have. time. I, well, uh, how How realistic does this sound to you? My battles My battles go a little different. I see the giant, or even the fact that I hear about the giant, and I run the other way. So I'm a survivor. But the point is that the weaker, smaller man took on the giant one. So obviously this is going to be a Disney film because it defies reality. I'm guessing this is not 
in my personal opinion, how it happened. But hey, I mean, it's a great story over those long winter nights while you're got your feet up on the, the back of a peasant and you're drinking ale or wine or whatever. I mean, it's a great story, but um, I do you have any proof that, I mean, is there any connection? Is there any other information or is this just the only part of that myth that we know of? Because I'm not buying it. It sounds like the stories I tell Fox when he goes to bed at night. <laughs> and the voices. Um, they... Yeah. They always follow the same pattern. I say, uh, <clears throat> once upon a time, long, long time ago, when I was about your age, my daddy um, told me to uh, go into the village to get some butter. Right. So I jumped on my trusty steed, Eddie Van Halen, and um, we we were riding into town. We got to the bridge. There was a dragon. Oh, shit. Who, who, who butter dragon. said... Right. Three riddles ye must answer before ye crosseth this bridge. And um, it inevitably ends in a lightsaber duel between right. me and the dragon. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So these are the fox is like, yep. Yeah. So he believes these stories. He thinks they're real. He hopes one they're day, real. Right. One day he's going to grow up <laughs> and uh, form a banking clan. Now, the Medici, um, of course end up becoming one of the most powerful families, not just in Florence, but in Europe during right. the Renaissance. And you can still see their coat of arms all over the place in Florence. It's everywhere. Um, wow. and, and, of course, in many ways, the story of the Renaissance is very closely tied to the Medici. They're, they were the patrons of... Donatello, Botticelli, Da Vinci, Michelangelo. There mm. were Medici's involved in the competitions for the baptistery doors and right. the Duomo's cupola. Um, they were uh, very early patrons of um, of um, fucking who built the cupola. I can't even. I'm so, it's so early in the morning. Can't even remember <laughs> who, who we did oh like my God. six episodes on. Uh, was that Michelangelo's master? He was apprentice? Or is that the dome? God, I can't remember. Not the dome, but... Oh, Brunelleschi. My Br- brain's coming there back online. It's so early in the morning here. Yeah. I haven't had coffee. Brunelleschi. Um, Bruno. They ended up producing cardinals, popes, uh, European aristocracy and royalty came out of the Medici family. But... Um, back to the famous shield. Uh, now, some places you, you will read, you'll claim that the, the Medici were, as their name suggests, originally doctors or apothecaries, mm-hmm. people dispensing medicines, and that the, the, the balls on their shield are, in fact, pills or uh. maybe even cupping glasses, which was something that they used uh, in sort of late medieval period to draw blood because um, yeah. the Italian word Medici uh, means medical doctors. Mm-hmm. But the Medici themselves always denied this story. Yeah, they, it's not sexy. They didn't want – not sexy. They didn't want to be associated with medicine. That's that's <laughs> like a, a – yeah, it's not a not – yeah. Not a very uh, admirable uh, profession, yeah. they, Fuck the they thought. Yeah. 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 Um, and I have read that – Pills didn't become common until sometime after the Medici coat of arms was already out there. The ah. most likely origin I've read right. is that the 
uh, coat of arms has been sort of copied from that of the ancient guild of money changers, the Arte del Cambio, mm-hmm. uh, to which the Medici belong. They, they, when they started to become um, well-known, they were money changers. And if you look at the coat of arms of the guild of money changers, it has similar-looking balls on it, um, right. a lot of them, about 25 of them or something. So it's probably where it came from. Um, yeah. But, you know, you you got to love the Avarado story. Avarado ended up settling in the Mugello regions, about 25 miles by road to the northeast of Florence, and uh, this is uh, where the Medici got their start. He, 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 they came from a village called Cafagiolo, mm-hmm. um, and they, they always retained strong links to this area. Uh, there's still a, a Villa Medici in Cafagiolo um, in the Mugello. You can go and visit that. Cool. But um, then somewhere around... 1200 or a little bit before 1200, they appear to have gone to Florence to try and make their mark in the big city. <laughs> yeah, it's it's literally the equivalent of the country mouse going to the city for the opportunities. And the uh, Medici weren't the only ones. I mean, many others did. And as we were saying on a previous uh, show, because of that, the population of Florence does increase significantly at this time. Some people say it's, it's 50,000 people that are in Florence, but it's really hard to know because the census-taking process that they had was not exactly based on science. The way it would work is if you were in Florence and you had a child born to your family, you would drop a bean into a local census box. If it was a boy, you dropped in a black bean, and if it's a girl, you drop in a white bean. But because Florence was um, experiencing such an increase in the population at the time, it's very plausible that this system broke down. New people probably came in. Maybe they they didn't know about it or they didn't participate. But the point is, this city grows so big and so fast. It is actually at some points larger than Rome and London as far as population. But it's not quite there yet with, uh, say, like Paris and Naples and Milan. But the point is, this is a very big city. A lot of people are coming here. Here. And like the Medici, they, they're bringing their skills, their ambitions, and they're hoping to make something for themselves and for their families. Yeah, I love that, bean counters. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's a clever system. Um, and hopefully there wasn't somebody who was just hungry on the other end <laughs> eating the beans when they came out. Well, um, there's another part of it that we'll go into later. Their their system of government, when they were electing the leaders every two months, they used beans mm-hmm. there as well. So this place mm-hmm. had a lot of beans, or they were very pro-bean. I don't know exactly, but they actually wrote people's names on beans and dropped into the bucket uh, to see who the leader was. But we'll get to that later. But very pro-bean is our Florentines. Big on beans. Right, big Florentines, on beans. big on beans. Um, <laughs> baked beans are good for your heart. Is uh, that sort of came from Florence, right? Bean they, casserole, they, they, yeah. bean stew, and bean counter. Yeah, you know, bean counter is what we call accountants. Uh, right. Probably came from something to do <laughs> with right. this as well. He's a bean That's counter. That's right. That's hilarious. He was literally counting beans. Yeah. It's literally the way they did everything in Florence. <laughs> um, now, uh, fascinating to me that Florence at this stage was actually larger than Rome or London. We know that Rome had uh, been through a period of, of decline for the previous. Right. Uh, six, seven hundred years at this stage. We've talked about that in length. Uh, London obviously was just sort of getting off the ground, I guess, yeah. at this stage. It was still smaller than 
places like Paris or Naples or Milan. But, still. but as we're going to see during this next period, it becomes incredibly wealthy. Mm-hmm. Now, the Medici, when they moved to uh, Florence, settled in the neighborhood of San Lorenzo, uh, clustered around the church of uh, San Lorenzo, the Basilica of San Lorenzo, mm-hmm. um, named for St. Lawrence. Of Arabia. One of no, the, no, sorry. Yeah, St. Lawrence of Arabia. Uh, <laughs> good friends uh, with Winston Churchill. Right. And I know that because you read it. we're reading yeah. Andrew Roberts' new biography on <laughs> Churchill because we're interviewing him later today right. for the Cold War Show. Um, now, St. Lawrence was one of the martyred seven deacons of Rome in Aww. the mid-200s. Um. Uh, uh, there's a persecution of the Christians around 258, ordered by the Emperor Valerian. Mm-hmm. Um, and the St. Lawrence story is uh, kind of classic. There's a famous legend about his torture and execution. Um, now, to go back a little bit, when he was a deacon in Rome, he was apparently responsible for distribution of arms to the poor. Right. Not ARMS, as like, you know, come and get your uh, AK-47s, <laughs> <Right>. but ALMS, <laughs> giving right. them food and, and some nice. coins and, and that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah, good good, good guy Lawrence, they right. call him. Now, um, our old friend, the Bishop Ambrose of Milan, told a story that um, when he was sort of when Lawrence was arrested by the prefect of Rome and he demanded that he hand over all of the church's treasure right Lawrence um, did a whistle a uh, bit like uh, um, I don't know uh, uh, Aquaman calls out a signal right. and all of the marine <laughs> life comes forwards he did a special whistle and all of the poor came out, you know, from the, oh, the cracks in the streets right. and under newspapers. And he's a bit like the Pied Piper of Hamlin. He just played this little tune and all the poor came and they gathered. And um, because there's nothing the poor like doing more than turning up to uh, sort of uh, a, a trial of somebody who's probably going to get killed. Yeah. They couldn't get enough of that. Right. They turned up and he said, behold. In these poor persons, the treasures which I promised to show you, to which I will add pearls and precious stones, those widows and consecrated virgins, Mm-mm. which are the church's crown. But virgins, don't get too uppity about being a virgin or, <laughs> or you'll get t- God's going to have yeah. you raped, Yeah, <laughs> um, according to St. Augustine of Hippo. <laughs> Just, uh, like, Just, you know, yeah. keep your legs crossed, but don't be too proud of it. That's right. all we're saying. Now, the prefect of Rome got so angry that his yeah. living room was full of poor people that sure. he had he had a huge gridiron prepared with hot coals beneath it, oh. and he put Lawrence on top of it as he's torture. He's cooking him on a giant <sighs> barbecue, basically. Right. Now, the story, according to Ambrose of Milan, is that um, after Lawrence had been lying on it for a long time, he cheerfully yelled out, I'm well done on this side, turn me over. (laughs) Can I have some more, Gov? And from this, uh, St. Lawrence uh, became the patron of cooks and chefs and comedians... So uh, your St. Lawrence medal that you wear if you're if you're a comedian or a cook is because of this story. He's often depicted in paintings carrying a gridiron. 
right. too. Like a wow. Uh, if you don't know what a gridiron looks like, it looks like a, like a metal shelf with openings in it that you can lay your, your, your right. food on and there's hot coals underneath yeah. it. And that is why an American football field – well, American football is called a gridiron because the field looks like a oh gridiron. wow upside down gridiron. Yeah, nice guy. There you go. Dead. Good guy, Lawrence. Yeah, but, dead. Uh, <laughs> roasted. <laughs> roasted alive for helping mm. the poor and bragging about it again. Be a virgin, help people, but do not. Yeah, brag. About don't it. brag. Yeah, don't brag about it. Yeah, that's not a good look. Yeah. If you're going to be tortured, just be tortured silently. <laughs> Actually, don't even do that because that's that's there. You try to look too tough. Just scream right. like the rest of us. Well, if you're if you're now, being, hold on, I got to say, if you're being tortured and you don't say anything because you're prideful, you might get raped while you're being tortured. Per Ambrose or uh, Constantine, so don't do that either. It, it's a it's a slippery slope. <laughs> it's very. There's a lot of rules in Christianity about how one should act when one is being raped or tortured or being a virgin. Uh, You've got you to know the rules. Yeah. Now, um, getting back to the Church of San Lorenzo mm-hmm. in Florence, dates back to the 4th century. Wow. Um, right after sort of Constantine, I guess. They were like, you fucking beauty, let's build a church and dedicate it to the guy that got toasted. Um and it's right next to where my hotel was in Florence. You um, spent many an evening on the uh, rooftop of the hotel, the Palazzo Gardi, that yeah. uh, most of us were staying in. Not you. We, no. we sent you to <laughs> Far the away. hotel. It's, thank you. You, you yeah. and uh, Effie and my mum yeah. ended wow. up in the shitty hotel, yeah. Hotel Galileo. But then, to make it even better, you re-invited your mother back to your hotel, Um so I really felt left out at that point, but you know, whatever. Revenge is coming. I was trying to, I was trying to do you a favor. I was just setting you and Effie up for a long. Right. No, I appreciate that. Walks back to the hotel she, and, in the evening, and she was into it. But she said, "I like it rough. I like a lot of pain." And that's when I had to go. Well, you have a pleasant evening, and I ran to my room and closed the door. And uh, I'm just not into that. Just Don't say that about Effie on there. No, no, just that she's tough. She's tough. You know, and, and it was kind of intimidating. So I didn't make the move. <laughs> you know, I, I, somebody, somebody didn't come with us to Florence. Uh, 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 he pulled out. And so I said, well, my mum, I'll give my mum my room. Like, she's 71. Yeah. She can have the ni- nice room in the nice hotel. <laughs> so she comes all the way down. I drag her fucking suitcase right. all the way back there. And she scares in the room. I see her the next day. I go, how's she? She goes, that's ah, all right. <laughs> I like well, fuck. I could have left you in the last one if it's just all right. Like, this is a palazzo. It's a right. palace. Oh, it was very nice. It was swanky very as Very nice. Yeah. Oh, man, it was so swanky. Yeah. Uh, anywho. Right. Um, yeah, so uh, it was right next door. That's, that's, that's where it is. We could see it from the rooftop. When we were up on the roof, you know, obviously, right. we could see the Duomo, but uh, the, the old church of San Lorenzo, where the De Medici lived, was right in, in that area where that hotel wow. is. Nice. And I knew that because... When I would go walking from my hotel, literally sort of the, the little side street that we would walk down was the library of, I think it was Lorenzo Medici, had his like private wow. library museum is, was right next door. Crazy. Yeah. Anywho, um, San Lorenzo becomes the patron saint of the Medici. And uh, they, they weren't cooks or chefs or comedians, but uh, they figured, you know, what the hell. And uh, obviously some of their most 
illustrious uh, sons were named Lorenzo after him, mm-hmm. and all of the principal members of the Medici family are buried in the Church of San Lorenzo. Wow. Um, yeah, so I, I thought it was interesting that, yeah, very like you were saying a minute ago, the very short walk from their house uh, took them to the old market or the Mercato Vecchio, which was the center of the city's commercial life. Now, this I enjoyed very much because you could easily imagine a very busy street, you know, cobblestones or whatever, and people have come from miles around to buy the cloth that Florence was known for. There would be bright bolts, uh, brightly colored bolts of material laid out. A customer would come by and say, I like that. And they would kind of measure him, and while they're measuring him, he would, uh, him or her, they would, uh, they would cut the cloth. They would, they would haggle over a price or whatever. But the point is that it was a very brisk business. Uh, in the morning, before the, uh, I think some of the people got there to buy cloth, there would just be the streets would be full of farmers and their animals. There would be meats and cheese stalls and pigs and sheep and cows and vegetables and fruit. So a very bustling place. This was the place to come to make money. And we haven't even gotten to the bankers or to the artwork yet, but this was a very vibrant city, and as we said a minute ago, because the population goes up, it becomes even more busy. Um, a lot of people are there to, you know, to see to see this incredible town, but at the same time, to hopefully make money for them and their family, and to and to and to have it good um, to take advantage of this um, very dynamic location. And for people that have been to Florence, uh, the area that used to be the Mercato Vecchio uh, is now the Piazza della Repubblica, mm. um, sort of the main piazza, I think, uh, the biggest one in Florence. It's where the Apple store is, where they mm-hmm. refused to fix my fucking MacBook <laughs> when it died in Florence. <laughs> Thanks very much, Apple. Now, the first Medici mentioned in the records of Florence mm-hmm. is a guy called Chiarissimo. That appears on a document dated 1201. Mm. So by 1201, they're already in the city and prominent enough to be uh, uh, listed in official documents of the city. But we don't know much about the family in this period, what they were doing. We know that they were money changers. Right. Don't know how you get into the money changing business. <sighs> gotta have some money. Um, gotta have some money, I guess. I guess. <laughs> I yeah, but I guess uh, you know people are coming from all around. They've got currency from one uh, region of Italy. They, they might have come from Milan. They might have come from Pisa. They've got the coinage from right. that region uh, minted by the the the, the duke or, or the, the 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 council of that area. That money's no good in Florence. You have to have right. Florentine money. Um, so Florence, uh, so at some point it becomes, which we'll talk about. So they come in and they you go to a money changes table. The table is called a banco, as I think we've talked about in a, a previous episode, an mm-hmm. early episode, a banco, which is where the word bank comes from. It was the name of the money changes table. You come in and they would work out some sort of an exchange rate, um, possibly based on the weight of the precious metals in your in your uh, currency, in your right. coins, they would give you then coins that you could go and spend in Florence. Good. Luckily, Jesus never came to town, uh, so you know people weren't running through overturning money changing tables. Um, in fact. By this stage, Jesus was into the bling. He couldn't get enough yeah. of the money changes, as we'll see. Good. Yeah, yeah. I, so that was yeah. that was the, the that was how the Medici got started in Florence. They were 
They were money changers. Right. Now, be- before we go on, I think it's, it's important to note that, yes, they're a well-known business family, but what they are not at this point, is they're not one of the leading families of the city. They're not noble landowners. They're just, I don't know if you would want to call them upper middle class or whatever, but the point is they've got their business. They're obviously in some record books in 1201, but the point is they've got a long way to go to become the powerhouse that they're going to be. I just wanted to ask you real quick, um, uh, Kiki's real name is Chiara, which is Italian for Claire. And so when I saw Chiarissimo, uh, I don't know what the male version of that is, but uh, I thought that was really interesting. I meant to look it up. I don't know if it's Carl or Chris or whatever, but uh, I told Kiki about that. And so she, she she thought it was cool that she kind of had a name like one of the Medici. Wow. Yeah. Her name is Chiara. I Chiara. didn't know that. Yeah. Maybe I did. Well, yeah. I know that uh, Chiarissima... Chiarissimo, Chiarissimo as the singular means um, illustrious mm. or very clear, very bright. You I'm not going to say clarity for it, Well, Chiara is Claire, but obviously Claire can mean, I think Claire means something like that light because that's probably why we used it. But we never tell her because her ego is big enough as it is. Yeah. yeah. Don't want to make that any worse. Anyway, I just thought that was neat. Yeah, that's very neat. Yeah. Um, so by 1296, after they've been in Florence for a, nearly a century, mm-hmm. or maybe around about a century, the, the first member of the Medici family is chosen as the Gonfalonieri, uh, which is sort of similar to a consul, I guess, in old Rome. Right. Um, this is Ardingo uh, de' Medici. He is mm-hmm. the first person who gets to kind of be the boss of yeah. Florence for a couple of months. Now we should we should talk a little bit about the political operations of Florence at this stage. How how it operated as a quasi democracy, I guess. <laughs> um, right. Like like ancient Rome, Florence was an independent republic, theoretically run on democratic lines. But like all good democracies, ancient <laughs> and modern, corrupt as fuck by the by the wealthy. But right. uh, but they were they were proud of it. Um, it was ruled by a nine man council known as the Signoria. Mm-hmm. Now, by the way, I have to thank our listener in Florence, Lisa Tucci, uh, because I've been asking her for pronunciation lessons over Facebook Messenger all week, nice. and she has tirelessly, tirelessly given me um, lessons. Speaking of thanking people, Stephanie right. Noel, Noel. Um, yes. Have you? Did Thank you get you. it? Did you get a box I got from it, Stephanie this week? Yes. Yesterday, I think I got it yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. Stephanie um, uh, yeah. lives in lives in Japan at the moment. She sent us both gift boxes from Japan full of Japanese treats, little snacks. Right. Fantastic. Yeah. Loving it. Yeah, thank you very much. I, I'm hoarding it. I'm not sharing it with my children. That's the kind of guy oh, I yeah. am. Yeah. Yeah, no, that is the kind of guy you are. Um, well, listen, you don't have a lot lot to look forward to in life. Let's be honest. That's true. Yeah. Um, th- this is yeah. pretty much all you've got to live for right now is gift, right. gift packages. I also want to thank, while we're talking about gift packages, our old friend Tim Henning. Tim sent me a couple of funny T-shirts and a Trump doll um, oh my for my desk and, and some stogies, which, as you know, uh, we've mm-hmm. been stogie-free in our house for a while, so some stogies right. from Tim arrived. That was very much appreciated. 
Lovely when when listeners care um, yeah. enough to 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 just send us stuff out of the blue. Yeah, uh, write reviews. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah, all write reviews. Yes. <laughs> Anywho, yeah. back to uh, the senioria. So, the chief of the senioria, the the sort of the head of the senioria, was the gonfalonieri. Mm-hmm. But unlike a consul who got 12 months, Gonfalonieri only got two months. Right. They would be replaced every two months. Wow. No, I don't know. I don't know how you get anything done in I'm two just, months. I can. Yeah. I think that's a point. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to be quite blunt. Yeah. You, so you can't, you can't be too corrupt if you've only got two months in the job? Right, you can't you can't really plan to take over anything. You can't uh, try to work out any long term bribes or business deals because yeah, and before you know, blink of an eye, your position is gone. It's being held by someone else who I'm sure would love to investigate you. So they, I think they were so paranoid as far as corruption, as far as uh, anybody trying to grab power, and it, and and for for the people out there who are listening to say that there's nine people ruling the city of let's just say fifty thousand, whatever number you want to use. It, it, we know it goes up to roughly a hundred. Uh, by the mid-1300s. Uh, but the point is, that might not seem like much, but so many other city-states of, of Italy had kings, they had dictators, they had despots, they had a single family ruling. So for uh, Florence, Florence could actually brag, yeah, we are, you know, we got a little bit of a republic going on here because this these leaders are coming from the uh, members of the seven great guilds, which I'm sure we'll go into later. But the point is, compared to everybody else, they're actually doing a pretty good job of having a semi-representative government. Yeah, if you look at the other Italian states that were around at the time, Venice uh, was also a republic, but the noble families in Venice played a large role in the government, which was at least theoretically impossible under the constitution of Florence. Their their, landed gentry were known as the Grandi, and they were actually banned from the Signoria. Um, Wow. Of course, they probably used their wealth and influence to manipulate things, uh, as you would expect, but at least theoretically, they were banned from holding political power. Um, Milan at the time had uh, sort of a, a tyranny under the Duke Filippo Maria Visconti. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Papal States, as we've talked about, had sort of devolved uh, into sort of a bunch of petty tyrannies. There was like people that were put in control by popes and they ran them their, their own little fiefdoms, right. battling each other on and off, sort of fairly chaotic. Um, then you had the kingdoms of Naples and Sicily that were sort of in the middle of ongoing rival factions between the houses of Anjou and Aragon. So compared to all of these other major (laughs) city-states in Italy at the time, Florence seemed fairly democratic and fairly stable. Yeah. Um, But how how democratic it really was, we'll get into uh, in a second. But getting back to the the makeup of the Signoria... Mm the um, as you mentioned a little bit earlier, the the people that that sat on the council were decided um, by a lottery where they were putting pulling beans out of a bag, <laughs> right. um, and and it, they just came from the guilds, and I'll talk about the guilds and the importance of those in a second. But the the names of all of the guild members over thirty years old, obviously just men, right? Because you can't let women no. get involved in running running things, right? I don't know. Good that's God, a recipe no. for disaster. Oh, 
the beginning of the end. Oh, begin <laughs> chaos. If you let women involved. Um the, so the names of all the men were put into eight leather bags called Borse, mm-hmm. and then every two months those bags were taken from the Church of Santa Croce where they were kept, a little bit of a ceremony, and the names were drawn out. So right. that's how the Signoria and the Gonfaleri were, were, um, were chosen. It wasn't by voting. It was just pulling names out of a bag. Ta-da! Yeah. Yeah. And you were you were called to serve. Now, I think that's a great idea. Don't you think that's a great idea? It, basically, that's how our elections should be run. <laughs> everyone who wants to nominate themselves, let's right. say, or just everyone, all adults. So it's a bit like jury duty. All right. adults over a certain age. <laughs> um, your name goes on a list. We're going to pull your name out at random and go. Right, you're running things for right. the next two months. Yeah. Good luck. <laughs> And if you're uh, stupid, don't worry about it because you've only got too much. You can only too much. You can only fuck up so much. Yeah, yeah. Um, don't yeah. Try not to just fuck it up too bad. <laughs> All right, thanks. If, All right, we're out. <laughs> if, if I could add on to that real quick before you go on, just to give everybody an idea of how you know representative or de- democratic uh, Florence is compared to the other places, as far as when they would have the first part of gathering everybody's names. Now, obviously, you're going to weed out the names. Someone might have died or they're sick or they're, they're in debt, so they can't be trusted. And so you, there's a there's a weeding process that we don't have to go into. But the point is, when they first come up with this list, just to give you an idea, in 1343, there were like 3,000 names on this list. So it, don't get me wrong, it is going to be whittled down, but that certainly is, these people have a decent chance of eventually, you know, your name is in the bag long enough to, of being selected to, to be on this council. So again, that's not bad um, compared to having a king or despot or just an out-and-out dictator. So th- like you said, they're, they're doing this, they don't trust anybody, no one has power for a long time, and it brings a certain amount of stability to this city so they can all focus on what everybody cares about, which is making money. Yeah. So uh, some of the conditions to, to serve on the Signoria is you weren't allowed to be in debt. You weren't mm-hmm. allowed to have served a recent term on the council. Right. And you couldn't be related to any of the men already drawn out. That's fair. So fairly fairly simple rules. Yeah. Um, uh, but and you, obviously you didn't want to fuck it up because your reputation in the city right. was everything. Doesn't matter what yeah. guild you were in, your reputation as being somebody who was, uh, uh, um, what's the word? Um, I don't know, sensible, reasonable, did a good job. You, you had a, you know, it, it, that was everything. That was your, that was your brand in the city. So everyone took this seriously. But like all good democracies, as I said, Florence was corrupt. Um, the lotteries were increasingly fixed. So that the Signoria ended up representing sort of the leading families of the, of the time. They managed to manipulate which names got pulled out of the bag. But in theory, it, it, it was, a, was, a, was a fine quasi-democratic <laughs> system. Right. Now, there were 21 guilds in all. And a, how would you describe a guild, Ray, for the listeners at home I guess. along? I guess that's just a group of uh, people that uh, have the same job or share the, the same craft. Um, 
whether it's all your carpenters, your plumbers, your your wool merchants, whatever, I, I would assume it would be people who, uh, you know, who have been invited and accepted into this guild, and they all roughly do the same thing. Some guilds are more important or more, um, yeah, more important than others. Yeah, like if there was a podcaster's guild. Oh, we'd be the th- fucking... They oh. were at the very, very bottom, yeah, of the, of the, the guild system. <laughs> it was They were like professional associations or right. organisations yeah. where they, uh, they they a quasi-union, I guess, in oh, a way. They looked out for, for their profession. But they were, there were twenty-one. Yeah. There were 21 guilds in Florence, seven major guilds and 14 minor guilds. Now, the, the top of the food chain, the, the, the most prestigious of the major guilds was the Lawyers Guild. Boo. So it's no, no wonder that the system was corrupt. <laughs> um, the next guilds of importance were the guilds of the Wool, Silk, and Cloth Merchants. merchants. Mm-hmm. Now, I think if we've, we've explained before on the show, a uh, large part of Florence's economy at this time was about wool and silk and cloth. There was wool coming in from around Europe. It was being dyed and processed in Florence and then exported back out. So uh, I think we we talked about the um, baptistery doors. I think that was the wool guild that Mm -hmm. commissioned that. Right. Um, And maybe even the cupola and the Duomo might have had something to do with the wool guild. Or the, the one of the guilds, I can't remember which, Cloth Guild, I think. Anyway, um, the one of the up-and-coming major guilds was the Bankers Guild, the Arte del Cambio. Now, uh, at some point here, the Medici are both in the Bankers Guild and I think the Wool Guild because they ended up owning some uh, wool workshops. Right. Yeah. We'll talk about that later on. Um, but I want, before we talk about the bankers, I want to talk about banking in the Middle Ages. Now, do you know what usury is, Ray? Um, is that what happened to me in Vegas every time I fell asleep? No, no, that's not it. Um, I'm, I'm assuming the very basic where you loan money, they pay it back with interest. Yes. Now, you're a good Catholic boy. Um, Catholic Church, not a big fan of usury. Um it's actually been, uh, what's the word, um, f- shunned, banned, banned. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's it's uh, st- up until very recently, actually. Catholics were totally against loaning money out for interest. Now, this right. goes back to the Old Testament. Mm. Um, uh, Exodus uh, twenty two twenty four says, If thou lend money to any of my people... Mm-mm. Even to the poor with thee, thou shalt not be to him as a creditor, neither shall ye lay upon him interest. Um, uh, Leviticus yes, twenty five thirty six. Take thou no interest of him or increase, but fear thy God, that thy brother may live with thee. And there are more right. references in the Old Testament to not charging interest, at least to Jews. Right. Now, uh, the the Catholic Church banned usury, as far as I can tell, they still do to this very day, technically. Right. Uh, they started to lighten up in the early 20th century, though, after they'd lost the Papal States and they set up the Vatican Bank. 
which got a massive cash injection from Mussolini. I'm reading this great book by Gerald Posner at the moment, God's Bankers, mm. um, about um, the Vatican Bank and, and particularly their relationship with the fascists, right. how friendly the Vatican was with Mussolini and Hitler wow. and their respective fascist uh, governments. Um, but yeah, this whole this whole idea of charging interest, which is obviously how banks usually make their money, bankers make their money, was um, a, you know a sin according to the Catholic Church. <laughs> so what bankers would do in the Middle Ages, like the Medici, is they go, no, 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 Gov, no. no. <laughs> We're not no, we're not charging interest. No, that oh, that would be a sin. No, we don't. We, we don't want no. Yeah. No, it's it's not. It's not. It's not interest, Gov. It's uh, an administrative fee. <laughs> oh, the paperwork we got to do. We got we got to charge a yeah. fee for the right. paperwork that we're doing, managing it. You know, counting it. Yeah. Uh, all that. All that stuff. So Sleeping no, not yeah. not an interest. No, not not at all. So they got around it with that kind of. Uh, uh, sneaky euphemisms. Um, so, uh, but they they started to become a big thing. Um, the the bankers uh, around about this period, sort of the the thirteenth and fourteenth century. Um, now there were there was a guild that included doctors, shopkeepers, merchants who sold spices, dyes, and medicines, right, and artists and craftsmen like painters who bought. The dyes manufactured by members of the guild. They were all in a guild together. Wow. Doctors and painters and people who sold spices and dyes. They're all they all had a guild. <laughs> that makes uh, no sense. And okay. then the seventh the seventh major guild mm-hmm. looked after the, the guys that dealt uh, in animal skins and furs. Mm. That, that made your, your leather jacket. I've got a leather jacket that I bought in Florence. Right. The guy that made that would, would have been a member of the Seventh Major Guild. Nice. So who were in the minor guilds, Ray? Um, I, I, as far as I know, it's the people that handle the – and believe me, there are like four or five steps when it comes to uh, to making the wool. I'm assuming it's the people that – process the wool up until it's ready to be sold. Yeah, well, there's a lot a lot of a lot of people in the mine. There were 14 minor guilds as I said before. So mm-hmm. these were your humble tradesmen that had workshops. The the ah. key seems to be you had to have a workshop. So uh butchers, tanners, uh leather workers, blacksmiths, mm-hmm. cooks, stonemasons, joiners, vintners, innkeepers, Tailors, armorers, and bakers. Ah, your butcher, your baker, your candlestick maker. <laughs> That's basically these were the people that were in the minor guilds. Right, they had a workshop that they would go to. Um, so they had a they had a profession ah. where there were skills that were passed on father to son or, or, or master to student, mentor to student. Now. There was sort of this hierarchy where the, the guys in the major guilds would look down on the people in the minor guilds. Sure. But then the people in the minor guilds would look down at the ordinary workers who weren't in a guild and right. weren't even allowed to form a guild. Right. Which meant, of course, that they had no uh, political sway in the city because only the guilds got to 
Oh. It wasn't a vote, but got to have their names put in the, the leather bags to have a, a, a bean with their name written on it pulled out. <coughs> so these would be the people that uh, were in the wool and silk trades, the weavers, the spinners, the, mm. the combers, the beaters, boatmen, uh, day labourers, uh, peddlers, people that didn't have a permanent workshop. Right, where where they had a profession that could they, they could be trained in. Um, now th- these people made up of more than three quarters of the population of the city. Wow, they were the the lower classes. Um, they weren't allowed to form a guild, and they weren't allowed to have any role in the democracy. You know, like you're you're the scum. You just right. sit there and <laughs> work. We are the we we are the hoi polloi, the ones in the guilds now. I learned something this week about guilds and secret handshakes. You oh. know, um, you know the you know the, the, the famous like Freemason secret handshake. So um, apparently, the, the the purpose of this goes back to guilds. Mm-hmm. So if if you were at a let's say you're at a bar and you, you're having a having a, a, a drinky poo, right? And um, <laughs> you, you get chatting to the guy next to you. Nothing, nothing gay no, necessarily no. about it. No, I mean there, there might be, but you just you're just chatting to the guy. Yeah, yeah. And you say, "What do you do?" And he said, uh, "Well, I'm a, a, I'm a master goldsmith." Ooh. You go, really? I'm a master goldsmith. He goes, really? Mm. And then you, sh- how do you know that he's really a master goldsmith? Right. You don't say. Uh, and he goes, he says Trust to me. you. Um, <clears throat> Hey, uh, well, let, let me ask you a question. When you're um, when you're making a gold necklace, exactly right. how do you uh, you know make the little finicky bit on the yeah. latch of the gold yeah. necklace? Now, are you going to share trade secrets with this guy? You're not going to say Fuck no. You know, show me your master goldsmith certificate, right. sir, before I uh, talk to you about <laughs> the secrets of the profession. What you do is it's in the handshake. Right. So not only being a member, when you're a member of a guild, you, you learnt the secret guild handshake. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the further up in the rankings that you went in the profession, you got an even more secret variation of the handshake. <clears throat> ah. You know, so, yeah. you, you, know you see uh, in... in um, Movies featuring uh, uh, dope uh, African American gentlemen, right? Um, they, they've got the fancy, flashy handshakes. Yeah, uh, that's what you would end up doing in these bars. You'd hit yourself on the chest, and you know, spin around once, and you know, pink, pinky grabs, and a little bit of a reach around, and that was yeah. It got quite complicated these secret handshakes, but that's how you told. That's how you could. That's how you could tell, right? Um, who was a member uh, and what ranking they were, and then you knew what you could talk to them about was right. whether or not that they knew the appropriate handshake for people uh, of a you know fifty fifth level uh, <laughs> white dragon of the <laughs> of the guild. Right now, when Joseph Smith set up the Mormons, he right. had been a Mason, um, and so he brought the secret handshakes oh, along into the Mormons. Right. And so then you could tell by the handshake whether or not the guy you were talking to, probably not at a bar, um, but uh, whether or not he was into the whole polygamy thing. 
Right. And how many wives, secret uh, celestial wives he had was by whether or not he knew the handshake. So he didn't sure. talk about Fight Club right. um, unless they knew the Fight Club handshake, right? <laughs> right. So I never really understood that about the secret handshake until yeah. – not in pre- preparation for this. I was reading something about Joseph Smith and Mormons and um, – Cool. And kind of read about the whole secret handshake thing, but it plays into this. So that's something about how guilds yeah. worked. If I can add to the guild story, and this is going off memory, I was uh, listening to a great course uh, about the Renaissance. Um, when when you you know for a guild, if you were if you were within a guild, you would be a master and you would have an apprentice, and you don't pay the apprentice, but you know he lives with you, he eats at your table, that kind of thing. He might or might not marry your daughter, and maybe he can take over once you die or whatever, but I found this really interesting. So when it was time for you to even attempt to join a guild, whether your thing was a good or a service, whatever, you would create something or you would, you would transact something. And that's your masterpiece. And you take that masterpiece and you take it to the guild if they have an opening because they had a set number of positions and you would say, this is my thing. And then they would, based on that masterpiece, allow you into the guild or not. So if they said yes, then you had to pay this massive one-time fee. It's in for administrative costs uh, to get into the guild. And if you could afford to pay, it and you've been trying to save up your money, uh, you're into the guild. But now here's how it works. Remember how we said the government wasn't really democracy because everything was fixed? Even when the families controlled the city, they still kept the illusion of the process of uh, voting people in for members. And and so it's the same thing for economics. Once you're in a guild, guild you can you have a very narrow range of what you can charge for either your 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 goods or your service and if you make goods you can't make them too good or too bad it has to be a very narrow range and i know that sounds kind of silly but the point is if everybody in the guild is doing roughly the same quality of work and roughly the same price, there's no there's no price wars, there's no gouging, there's no undercutting your neighbor, which leads to tension, which leads to violence, which leads to vi- fighting in the street and, and, of course, disrupting the entire city. So everything was to the minute detail worked out because, again, their number one goal is to make money and you can't make money unless you have stability. So it's all worked out, it's all thought out, and if you break it, you're kicked out of a guild, which is obviously a very huge deal, but it's all thought out because they're looking for stability. And because Florence is able to do this, they do become a powerhouse because they try to control every aspect of the business transaction. Wow. Yeah. Fascinating. Down to that. And and, and that's where the saying came from, always do there are a master (laughs) and an apprentice. That's true. Mm. That's true. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so it was very rigidly worked out, these guild systems, and um, clever, very yeah. clever, preventing well, competition. Yeah. And when you read about the, the church, the church was basically a guild as well. Right. As we've talked about, and we'll talk about in upcoming episodes, you had to buy your way into <laughs> positions like being a bishop or a cardinal. Right. And um, there were probably, you know, secrets that were kept amongst themselves, like, you know, this is all a big scam, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, shit, Pyramid don't, tell, yeah. Don't, don't tell the punters. Yeah. <laughs> oh, 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 it's great. Um, uh, so, yeah, it was basically it was basically just another guild. Yeah. Just on a massive, massive scale, as we're going to see. Yeah. All right. I think that's probably it for today. All right. What do you reckon? Yeah. 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 Go forth and prosper. Yeah. So uh, next episode, we'll continue talking about the rise 
of the Medici um, as they start to get into banking. We'll talk a little bit about the role of banking and the, the and how banking supported kings and popes and the church in the late Middle Ages. But uh, that'll be next time, the rise of the Medici part two. Thank you for uh, your time, uh, Ray. Thank you.